Welcome back to another episode of the Katya Outdoors podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this is a fun one. We got a Q&A. We sent out uh, a, memo, a memo to you guys just asking for questions, anything you guys wanted to know that we could answer. We got a good response, and so we're going to go over those questions and our subsequent answers today. Um, before we jump into it, I want to just go over a couple kind of housekeeping notes. So we had a, a comment, and it kind of prompted me to think, like, maybe we should talk about this a little bit. Somebody was asking, hey, I'm looking for the next episode. When are you guys going to post? So if you followed us for any length of time, you know we are consistently inconsistent with our podcast. So <laughs> with everything, really. Um, and the reason for that is this is not our full-time job. We post as much as we can. Um, we love doing it, but, you know, we have full-time jobs and Ben runs a business and we have kids, kids, family. Yeah. yeah. So it's challenging at times, just finding the time to do this stuff. So we'll get it. We'll get stuff out there as much as we can. So if you really want to see all of our videos, subscribe, buy all the gear in our shop and then <laughs> so we can retire. We and can do just this. <laughs> work full time on this. We'll get you guys all the content you could ever ask for. Um, but yeah, I just want to talk about that. Uh, and also this year in particular, we haven't posted as much as we would like because we are, we've been working for almost a year on developing some products. So we're excited about it. Can't talk about it too much yet, but hopefully, um, I, we don't have an ETA yet, but hopefully end of this year, beginning of next year, we can have the some, holiday season would be nice. That would be nice. Yeah. yeah. It'd be really nice. We're working on it though, but that's taken up a lot of our, of our time that we would have normally dedicated to shooting videos, recording videos, podcasts, things like that. So we only have so much time and we have to dice it up accordingly. But yeah, that's a little bit about our schedule. So we'll post as much as we can. Just thanks for hanging in there. Also, that bear hunting discussion, that was our last podcast. <clears throat> Looks like we're taking somebody bear hunting. Yeah. <laughs> awesome response. Like I, I don't know that I expected that many responses, but... It was like hundreds of people. Yeah. It pretty exciting. Maybe, maybe it was not hundreds, but over 100, I'm sure. So we <laughs> will be doing a bear hunt with one of you. Uh, we're really psyched about it. Um, we got to figure out the parameters, the timing, um, and then how we're going to set this thing up as far as like, uh, I don't know if it'll be like a contest or something, but we're going to do this, um, more to come on that in the near future. All right, cool. So let's jump into questions. Let's do it. Let's talk about All it. All right. So wh what was our prompt? We asked basically if anyone had any questions related to deer hunting in California or something. Yeah. Or, or hunting in general. Hunting. Yeah. Okay. So we've got a question here from Garrett Moore, 7847. He says, Hey fellas, not sure if you'll see this, but wanted to get some quick insight from you. I have been scouting and making plans to hunt bear. Oh, this is a bear question on opening day this coming Saturday. Sorry, we're a little late. <laughs> I have been public land hunting Arizona my whole life, new to Northern California. I'd love to connect and see what type of areas you guys are hunting. The whole D three through five things making my head spin with how different California does things. Uh, what I've seen, Tahoe National Forest doesn't manage its land very well. The looks of it, opportunities are on private land. Appreciate it. Yeah. Correct and correct. <laughs> <laughs> There's always going to be more opportunities on private land. But I don't know. Did he say where? He didn't say if he's hunting D3 through 5, right? Just, well, I kind of just maybe hinted at it. It looks like that's where he's at. So our philosophy with bear hunting is get away from roads for the most part. That's where we see the most bears. Um if you are sticking close to roads, chances are you, you might not see a lot of bears 
unless you're in those areas like the Tahoe Basin where bears, what I call, they're, they're, I call them acclimated. They're acclimated to people. And they're like domesticized almost. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're used to human activity and human smells. Um, our experience is uh, we, we haven't hunted bears in the Tahoe Basin much, but um, where we go, bears, they don't see people. They don't smell people. And if they do, it freaks them out. So we like to get away from roads. That's a good place to start. And then you're going to look for feed sources. Bears love their food. So if you're walking through the woods and you're starting to see bear sign, like you're starting to see um, feces, you're starting to see prints, things like that, pay attention to what's in that feces. So if you're seeing a lot of grass, you're going to look for your, your green patches where there's fresh grass. Bears eat a lot of grass. Yeah, that's mostly, if, you, if you've hunted much, you'll realize you walk across bear poop, it's mostly grass in there. And I would say bear hunting is kind of opportunistic. So they just kind of wander. They roam from food source to food source. You might see them in the same spot two or three days in a row, and then they disappear. They have a big range. They'll just kind of move around in that range. So... Uh, look for those food sources. That's, that's going to be number one. Bears are, are always eating. So f- pay attention to what's in that, in that, in those droppings and start there and then look for those food sources. Yeah. And D three through five is a huge area. So, I mean, you could narrow it down a little bit. It's hard to understand a public forum. You're not going to be like, I'm hunting in the whatever wilderness, <laughs> in the North side. But, um, you know, ultimately it's going to come down to, um, getting away from roads mm-hmm. and then starting to look for sign. It's just like, I mean, honestly, it's pretty much the same as every other animal. The advantage though that you have with bears is the fact that you can call them, especially in mm-hmm. California, especially during archery season. The later it gets into rifle, I think they're a little more call shy because there's not as many fawns around naturally. So when they hear that fawn and distress call, they're a little bit less likely to run to it. But especially during archery, first couple of weeks, archery, man, they will come running to that call. So we've just kind of made it a habit of like, if we're deer hunting area and we're getting ready to leave, because mostly we bear hunt while we're deer hunting, um, we'll blow that fawn in distress call for a few minutes. And it doesn't take long, you know, 10 minutes at the most. If they're anywhere within earshot, you'll see them within then, uh, within that time frame. But, um, but yeah, that's a major, major tool. I mean, that's the, probably like your number one tool for bear hunting is a fawn in distress call. All but two of the bears we've killed, we've called in. And when I say we've called them in, there's, they don't delay. They run right at you. (laughs) I mean, there's a video coming soon from our most recent hunt. And we saw this bear from, what do you think it was? 300 yards plus? Yeah, something like that. We, Ben started blowing this call and this bear galloped across this canyon, like sprinting to get to us. It was racing the does to us. There was does (laughs) running at us too because of the fawn in distress. It was wild. It'll, you'll see the video. An arrow may have struck the bear. Yeah. Yeah. More to come on that. So tell them what call you were using. This is the funny part. So I, I, we didn't have a, we didn't have a, um, fauna distress funny, like five minutes before we saw this bear, I asked Clayton, we're hiking out of this basin. I said, Hey, do you happen to have a fauna distress call with you? He's like, no, I didn't bring one. I'm like, man, I don't have one either. And so I started just digging around in my backpack and my hip pouch happened to have an elk call, a cow elk call from whenever the last time I was elk hunting. And I was like, well, I got this cow elk call. I can probably make it work. It was like two minutes later, we saw, he sees a bear on a ridge over there. He's like, there's a bear. I was like, all right, let's call it in. <laughs> so I'm starting to fiddle with this cow elk call. It's a reed and, or a, um, like a, yeah, it's a reed call. Um, and it worked. They're not super duper picky. As long as it mostly sounds like a fawn, they'll just come right in. So mm-hmm. yeah, away from roads, look for sign, use a call, right? Yeah. 
ABC. All right, at Joe Miller 9314 said, hunting B-Zone wilderness, do you put most of your work to opening weekend or do you hunt in the later part of the season also? What's your tactics for mid to late season hunting in the wilderness? Thanks, guys. Always enjoy your content. Good luck this year. Also, how do I find your podcast? So start with the podcast. We are on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. So you can access it from our YouTube channel. Just go to podcasts or just go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and just search Katcha Outdoors Podcast. That's how you can find us. So to address like the, the hunting side of the question, B-Zone Wilderness, great hunts. Most of the B-Zone Wilderness, I mean, whether you're from the Marble Mountains down through Mendocino, I mean, there's a lot of good hunting areas in there. And um, I think this applies to almost any wilderness. He specified B-Zone, but really wilderness in general. Our experience has been, um, you know, er early in the season, opening weekend is always great because the deer don't know what's going on yet. Um, That's kind of the same same gig everywhere. Uh, So if you can get in opening season, that's fantastic. You'll have easier opportunities at deer in higher elevations. Um, But our experience has been that when the pressure starts coming on from hunting season and these guys in the wilderness are starting to beat the paths, hiking all around, they hike the ridge lines, usually wilderness paths or, you know, they follow ridges and they'll go back to the next ridge and whatever. Um, wherever the, wherever the hiking trails are, the deer are going to go away from those areas. Um, we just had an experience recently where we were in a wilderness area and we just barely crested the edge of a bowl. And I'm talking about like a several square mile mile bowl. And we blew out every deer in that bowl within 10 minutes just from standing on the edge. We weren't yelling. We weren't throwing rocks down the hill. We were just standing there. Our wind or something went down that bowl and deer just started going. And they never came back the entire time we hunted that area for several days. And they weren't just deer. There were a lot of big bucks and (laughs) they were gone. Big bucks. Forever. Um, So so those areas are very sensitive. So when you start... You know, opening week, opening day really is your only opportunity to get in those areas. As soon as pressure starts hitting those areas, you got to go further back and further down. If you're hunting the top range, if you're hunting the bottom range, they're going to go up. You know, if you're hunting low country, they're going to go up to escape pressure. If you're hunting high country, they're going to go down. But wilderness areas, basically, you've got to find the thickest, nastiest area mm-hmm. and go there. Because that's where the deer are going to be. If you're going to hunt late season in a wilderness area or mid-season, you get, you're going to have to get into some nasty spots. That's all there is to it. There's no other way around it. And it kind of goes back to our talk about bears with the with feed. So later in the season, some things are going to start to die off. You're going to get cold snaps, and certain feed sources will dry up for the, for the fall. Um, so you have to search the cover, like Ben said, and the feed. So there, for example, we went we went scouting now, I guess it's about a month ago, three weeks ahead of season. We scouted a spot. We came back for opening day. And in that three week period, there's a certain shrub. I don't know what it was, but there's a lot of it where we were. It had all turned from green to like bright yellow in three weeks. And that'll happen. So we, we hunted mid season uh, a few years ago, came back and all of the normal feed sources that we would hunt had all turned colors. A lot of them had dropped leaves. So you have to be cognizant of that. Like where are the deer going to feed later in the season when stuff starts to, to, to dry up and die off? So, and yeah, thick, thick cover. Yep. It's kind of the same philosophy as a late season elk after the rut. Those elk will 
I mean, the bulls will pull off and go deep into those nasty basins. Yep. Well, isolate they feel themselves. the pressure, man. They they, they, they start do. smelling humans. They know what's going on, mm-hmm. and they get into these nasty tight spots that you literally have to step on them to kick them out of, and they'll just hold tight in there. You know, that's yeah. just how it works. So. Not to depress you, but yeah. an un- <laughs> he's got to work harder. <laughs> an unpressured buck, unpressured in June, will bed in the thickest tightest holes they can find so imagine what they do with a little bit of pressure they're hard to find especially blacktails we're kind of specifically talking about blacktails right yeah they bed like whitetails and they live in mule deer country they're kind of a they're unique they're a unique breed they're crazy so next question is from otis 8983 hi guys hunted northern california the past three years exclusively with a stick bow that's a brave hunter right there much respect been scouting and plan on hunting d3 during archery opener how high do you guys try to hunt during the high water years and what type of terrain vegetation are you focused on in the early season recently picked up the tree saddle had success with that in addition to thinking bringing it to my d3 alpine hunt because it weighs less than two pounds um well okay as far as the elevation i'm gonna hunt where the deer are and sometimes with blacktail they're not mule deer and i know in the d zones you get kind of these hybrid deer where you get mule deer blacktail crossovers they also they also migrate in those zones they do so they'll start out really high but depends on pressure i mean they could move quick Mm -hmm. they could hold tight they could be on lower country on the other side of the sierra nevada ridge Mm -hmm. you know and think of it this way think of if you take a sponge and you soak it with water and then sit it upright the water will start at the top and slowly drain down the bottom of the sponge and out that's a mountain so, yeah, we had a lot of snow and rain, and, and, and it was a wet winter. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a lot of wet conditions come late August, you know, when you go to hunt. So when you get there, you're going to have to gauge it. So that really high country dries out pretty quick, depending on how the sun and the heat was over the summer. So get there and, and gauge the the terrain, the water, the feed. Um, it might have already already started to dry up and some of those animals might have moved down a little bit to follow the good feed but yeah go where the deer are so just because it's high country doesn't mean there's always going to be deer there they don't hunt exactly like the mule deer in those big bulls in wyoming they just don't they're really susceptible to pressure think think of whitetail think of how whitetails are they're they're super skittish animals um blacktail are similar in that regard so that first hint of pressure, especially on those public land areas, D3 through 5, they sell a lot of tags and a lot of guys. There's not that many high areas. So there's going to be a lot of pressure in those in those high areas. Not saying there's no deer there. I'm sure there are. But just figure on having pressure. In my opinion, you're going to find better success moving a little bit lower, getting into the thicker cover, getting away from some of that pressure, and figuring out where the deer are going to go when the pressure hits. So <clears throat> teach you a little trick about, and probably shouldn't teach tricks like this, but um, one of the things I've always done to gauge where the deer are in a given area um, as far as altitude bands is to drive it at nighttime. Drive highways and not necessarily logging roads. You want to be able to cover a lot of ground, but highways and, you know, you know, small, uh, what were those, what would those be called? Mm, I guess highways, yeah, two-lane highways, forest service roads. Just just like back roads. Drive back roads and highways at nighttime, in the middle of the night, for a couple hours. Just drive around. 
drive up to 12,000 feet if that you can. Mostly that's not going to happen in Nevada. So you're going to drive up to 9,000, 8,000, drive back down to six, five, four, drive up and down these mountain roads, you know. And when you start seeing, you'll notice it. It's very noticeable. You'll go 4,000, 5,000, 6,000. You see deer, 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 8,000, it turns off. Well, then you know they're between six and 8,000. You drive down another road on the other side of the mountain, and if the same thing happens in the same elevation band, it's kind of like cheat codes for figuring out what elevation they're in. Um, and then you can apply that to your hunting area, you know, wherever that might be. So something that's worked for me in the past in D3 through 5. Cool. <clears throat> At user blah, 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 blah. I don't, that's a long name. I guess it's a hidden name. What distress call do you recommend? Elk calls. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, honestly, it's not super critical. It's not like a this primo's whatever. No. <laughs> if it's a fawn and distress call, that's that's I guess that would be the answer, a fawn and distress call. Mm-hmm. So whatever, just buy one that's marketed as a fawn and distress, and that will definitely work for bears. And what's crazy is we fooled a, several does calling that, <laughs> that elk. Well, you're talking about a world-class fauna distress caller. Ian Novak, 7565, says, been hunting all over D3 through 5 for the past seven years. Normally put in about 50 miles a year hiking and scouting around. Still have yet to be able to harvest a deer. Am I hiking too much or not enough? I think you're focused a little bit maybe too much on the hiking part of it. I mean, you can harvest a deer by hiking two miles. Um, or you can harvest a deer by hiking 200 miles. So it's really not about the hiking. Put your glass to work. Uh, you're probably hiking through, uh, you've probably hiked past a lot of bucks, I would tell you that. Let your glass do the walking, son. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, that's put your glass to work and pay attention to what you're hiking through. If you're hiking through areas where you're seeing uh, buck sign, uh, you're seeing a lot of droppings, good feed sources, tracks, whatever, trails, don't hike past them. Slow down and hunt that that small area for a given amount of time. There's a, sorry, there's one more thing with, so a lot of guys are hung up in D3 through 5. It's not an easy area to hunt. Mm-hmm. And the main reason for that is because the deer migrate there. So it's hard to tell. You could be doing a lot of hiking. Depends on what time of the year you're doing hiking in. If you're doing hiking in June, that is not going to help you mm-hmm. in the end of August or September because those deer are going to be in a completely different spot. They're going to start migrating. So if you can find where they're summering, then, and, you, and you're hiking around there, then that's valid data, you know. But, but as soon as you get the first weather pattern, they're going to start moving. Mm-hmm. And all that recon you did is useless. I mean, you may know what size of bucks are moving downhill, but then you got to figure out where their migration corridors are. And believe it or not, if you go to Fishing Games website, they have collar data that shows you the migration corridors through D3 through 5. Shh, don't tell anyone. Cheat codes. Yeah, so they'll t- it'll show you exactly what canyons all the deer use and stuff, so <laughs> go look that up. But, um, but yeah, you can tell we hunt there a lot. I'm just giving all these secrets away. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, we do. We have hunted there quite a bit in the past, and um, I think that's, yeah, I think what Clayton said is on point. It's not that you're hiking too much or not enough. It's just you, you may be looking at your feet instead of up when you're hiking, if you're hiking through sign, stop, mm-hmm. you know, pick, stay there for a day, pick that place apart. Yeah. And just keep in mind, you're probably not going to be hunting high concentrations of deer. 
So if you're hiking past a few tracks to go find more deer, those few tracks might be what you're looking for. Right. So you're not hunting, you know, big herds of animals unless it's like late season migration, which usually you can't hunt that late in the year anyway, unless there's a crazy storm or something. Um, you're going to be hunting small pockets of animals. So I would say slow down. Yeah. All right. At all them gains. Sounds like a buff dude. The Sierra Nevadas are thicker. They're just thick. How do you guys approach glassing and how long do you wait to move on from glassing points? We approach glassing with our binoculars <laughs> or spotting scopes. Um, no, uh, good question. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends. So really a lot of stuff is location dependent. Mm-hmm. Like if you're hunting big, wide open country, top above tree line stuff, I mean, you're going to, we would approach that by finding a really good point with a vantage point and sit there all day long or most of the day, even with our limited patience. Because <laughs> if you can see 10 square, 20 square miles, you know, you don't need to walk anywhere. You just need to sit there and look. Um, but on the other hand, some areas we glass, you may just have like a one canyon and you're going to glass that canyon up. Um, it's hard to say there's not like one set, you know, deer can bed under a bush and you can glass that area for two hours and not see a single deer. And then all of a sudden they start standing up and there's deer everywhere, you know, and it's, it was stand up time, you know, so, or the sun hits their beds or whatever. So I, I would say glassing ultimately it's a game of patience. Like it really is. the more patient you are, the more success you're going to have glassing because we're not very patient and we've, we've been tricked so many times into glassing an area and oh there's nothing here and then lo and behold one stands up and then another one and then another one and then before you know it, there's 10 deer right below us and we didn't had no idea because we weren't patient enough to sit there and wait so yeah yeah we just had that happen last weekend we went to a new spot that we've <clears throat> never really hunted before took the lay of the land just figured um i mean experience will tell you that's a good spot over there, a likely spot for deer. That's a likely escape, escape route. Those are likely feed areas, bedding, whatever. So you'll, you, you're going to base your glassing on that, like your, your knowledge base. So we sat down and we glassed a little while before we saw anything. And then it was like a doe. And then it was 15 minutes later, two does. And then half an hour later, a spike and another doe. And it was just kind of dead. We, we glassed there for two hours. And it wasn't until the last, what would you say, half an hour, 40 minutes. Yeah. That we saw buck after buck. I think we saw six big bucks in that basin, but it took an hour and a half for them to even move around. So what had happened and that's was that's a short period of time. That as far it as really is. Goes. Yeah. yeah. That's 2 hours isn't very long. So what had happened was those bucks had bedded first thing in the morning, probably first light. And then what time was it when we started seeing like 9:30, 10 o'clock? Yeah, it was maybe? like 10. Yeah. So yeah. they started standing up and feeding around. Uh, so they'd been in bed for several hours, stood up and started feeding, and that's when we started seeing them. So deer will will bed down and get up and bed down and get up. And they do that all the time. So you might be seeing nothing, but if you stick it out, those deer that are out of eyesight from you will start to stand up, and that's when you'll spot them. So really patience is key. Yeah, and another thing to think about is the fact that uh, you referenced the fact how thick the Sierra Nevadas are. And that is true in some areas. It's really thick. And a lot of those areas hold deer that mm-hmm. are really thick. As long as the vegetation's there, it's not, you know, the understory's just nothing or it's totally burned out and it's only understory, you know. But if if the right, you know, scenario is there, they will 
be in there. And if that's the case, if it's too thick to glass, then you don't need to glass. Mm -hmm. if, if there's sign in there and you can see a couple hundred yards around you, that may be all you need. You just sit there and wait it out, you yeah. know, and use, use your glass to kind of pick apart bushes and stuff. But for the most part, if you're in somewhere that's that thick and you know there's deer there, then you don't need to be glassing. Just wait. Well, there's a couple of things to note here, too. So deer are edge animals. So if you're glassing a hillside, there's two things to know. Number one is the, the type of animal you're glassing, edge, an edge animal. The second thing is vantage point. Say you're glassing a north face. Well, if you're glassing a north face from the top of that north face down, you're not going to see anything. So selecting a vantage point where you can see, you have the angle to see at the base of the trees, maybe into a small burn area. So selecting your vantage point is key, even in thick areas. But also, so deer are edge animals. So knowing that, you're going to find areas where you have maybe a bit of an opening, a clear cut, uh, a burn area, things like that. And you're going to glass those edges. So even though it's thick, you're still looking for, I don't want to say clear areas, but edge areas where deer are still spottable if you have the right vantage point. Most, I think that stands for almost all game animals. Mm -hmm. Edge habitat is just crucial. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's been a lot of research and study into it. And if you're not hunting edge habitat, you're doing it wrong. Um, basically if a whole area is live timber and there's one small burn area, you need to be hunting the edge of that burn. Mm -hmm. If it's all burned and there's one small live timber area, you need to be hunting the edge of that live area because they will live on the edge. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's just kind of, you know, basics. That's not really anything to do with glassing, but. Well, it is kind of, cause that's, that's what you want to target. Yeah. You know, it's easy to get overwhelmed at a landscape that's just full of stuff. It's like, where do you start? It's like, yeah. it's like when you pull up to a lake and you're trying to bass fish and you yeah. got this big lake, like, where do you start? Well, you had a good point the other day when you're talking about fish holding to cover. Like they'll yeah. find those little spots of cover and they'll just hang out there. And deer are the same way. Um, yep, it's structure. It's just any change in structure. If you got a flat lake bottom and all of a sudden there's a pinnacle of rocks, there's going to be fish there. Mm -hmm. So it's the same exact principle with animals. You got a bunch of just nonstop trees, thick, tall, you know, old timber, and then there's a burned area. Well, that all around that burned area, there's going to be deer. So. Yeah. Free Range Mexican 89 says, how do you approach a brand new area and what are you looking for when e-scouting and what do you look for when you first arrive on the ground? We kind of just covered some of that. Yeah, those are good questions. So I'm going to approach a brand new area. Um, well, we just hunted a brand new area, so what did we do? Uh, you, you're you're going to apply the same principles that you apply to familiar territory. It's feed, bedding, water feed shelter water so you're going to look for those areas and then you glassing is the best way to approach a new area because you can let you can not blow it out you know with your scent with your noise and whatever and you can glass out areas that you think will hold animals and see if it's true um, so glassing is a great way when you get there e-scouting um, again similar similar principles we just talked about edge terrain and burns that's what i'm going to look for so i'm going to pull up a map of the area, uh, we use Onyx, so we'll, we'll turn on like b the burn layer and see if there's any recent burns in the last 10 years. And we're gonna look for pockets where you have that edge terrain, like live timber uh, or heavy timber, dark timber, right next to, adjacent to uh, an old burn. So we're gonna look for those areas, we're gonna look for water sources, um, and that's kind of your starting point, and then when you get there, glassing and then looking for sign on the ground you know are the droppings there uh, are the beds there are the beds fresh how fresh are the droppings 
Yeah. Yep. Pretty straightforward. Yep. Look for edge habitat. <clears throat> you know, you'll find them in certain elevation bands in certain area. Look for fresh sign and then start glassing. And another thing to consider too, between hunting and scouting, because when you're going to scout, you're going to e-scout, you're going to find, okay, this area looks real probable. You've got this basin and there's water down at the bottom. There's a burn right here. A lot of live timber looks perfect. Everything you go in there, there's deer, you found them. Hooray. Season starts, they're all gone. Mm -hmm. So the other thing to figure out whenever you're scouting an area, we always make sure when we scout an area, we look at, okay, what does this area have going on for it? And where are these deer going to go when they get pressured? Like what, what area of this region are they going to? They usually don't go far. They usually go a mile at most, maybe two miles at most, very most. They just get away from where they are into some thick cover. Mm -hmm. And it's usually downhill because we like to hunt higher areas. So, you know, think about that. Find your spot. And then once you find your spot, the next step, you're not done yet. The next step is to figure out where those deer are going to go when they get pressured so that you actually have a chance at killing them. Yeah. We see guys all the time. They fall into that trap of, well, I came here in June and there were, there were bucks everywhere. I had cameras out and this and that. I came back for hunting season. It's just dead. All the deer are gone. They're not gone. They just went to where where they feel They're safe just around the corner yeah, yeah. They just they feel set, safe uh, away from those high areas those wide open areas yeah i see guys fall into that trap every year one year we went out to one of our our favorite spots that we know is notorious for this in fact ben just talked about it a little bit ago where we stepped out opening morning and blew out the deer and they never came back so this basin, it looks so good. It's just the best type of terrain. There's like edge stuff and there's water and it just looks incredible. Like the first hint of human activity, these deer are gone and they never come back. That we've seen. They never come back while we're there anyway. <clears throat> One year we rolled up and a couple of guys had camped on the edge of that basin and they literally had strung a hammock and were sleeping. Skylined. Sky. <laughs> <laughs> They were skylined with their hammock on the edge of a basin that the deer are so sensitive that if they smell a wisp of human scent, they're gone for a week. So when the thermals switch and they go down every night, they're just sleeping where the thermals are just pouring off the side of, the side of that basin. <laughs> there were no, those poor guys had no idea. There were no deer in that basin for miles, probably. <laughs> it was just gone. But you fall into that trap because it looks so good, and you think that the look of it, overcomes like the fear the natural fear that a deer has and it's not true they're going to run for cover all right at drjfey dr jeffy i don't know any a zone pro tips for dealing with loud brush both in and out of sight of deer man there's loud brush everywhere parachute in <laughs> <laughs> no uh you know what a zone especially if you're talking about archery I mean, rifle too, but especially archery. Archery in A-Zone is like a, a whole thing of its own. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like A-Zone is more of an ambush area with the habitat that's there, how loud the cheatgrass is. And, I mean, you, you cannot get away from the noise. There's mm -hmm. nothing. You can get quieter. I mean, we put a couple successful stocks on bucks this year in A-Zone. Didn't kill anything, but had a couple opportunities too. Um within 40 yards and that's really tough it's not easy um it's a lot better to do all the work ahead of time and program it because a zone most of a zone there are exceptions most of a zone the deer 
do live in the same spot all year long. They're mm-hmm. not going to migrate. They're not going to blow out too hard because there's a lot of human interaction in a lot of the areas that are in A zone. So they're not quite as um, sensitive in that way as like, backcountry bucks will be. So, you know, usually if they catch a whiff of you, it's not the end of the game. You can come back the next day and they'll probably be in the same area, you know. But a- ambush hunting is the way to go in A zone. Mm-hmm. Figure out, pattern the deer as much as you can pattern blacktail. Figure out what areas they're using, what water source they're using, whatever it might be, and then just set up an ambush. And the thing with the ambush is a lot of guys set up an ambush, they wait half the day, and they're like, well, this spot sucks. It's like, no, they just w- didn't walk by that particular area that day. Yep. So it, blacktail are really hard to pattern. You you can figure them out. Once you figure out kind of the area they're living in, you'll figure out like, okay, they're in this like half a square mile area. They may not come by your ambush spot the first day or maybe the second day, but the third day they probably will mm-hmm. or whatever the case is. They maybe come back the first morning and you just slock them. But yeah, I think ambush hunting is the way to go in a zone. Stalking deer is possible, but it's very difficult. Yeah, they have what I call macro patterns instead of like a white tail will have micro patterns. Like that white tail will go from one bed to one cornfield and back to one bed and back to one. like that's a micro pattern. You can pattern it pretty easily. A black tail will have a macro pattern where it's a pattern, but it's a random pattern within a relatively small area. That's mm-hmm. what you'll see in in a zone. So you'll you'll walk up on a trail that looks like they use it every 40 seconds. It's so beat down. But they might not use it, but every three days. And they're just kind of wandering, bouncing around in yep. this smaller area. So patience is key when you're trying to ambush. And tactically speaking, you can still be quiet in that stuff. You have to slow way down, way down. And either wear socks or some kind of like soft foot cover. And you just you go so slow that you're not making noise. That's really it. There's no big secret to it. The big one of the major advantages or like a tactic that we've been able to employ in A zone is you just get a handful of poison oak and stuff it down your shirt. <laughs> Makes you quieter. <laughs> I hate that stuff. One of the reasons uh, I hate hunting A zone is yes. poison oak. We're it's both everywhere. extremely allergic, so it's it's fun. All right, next question. This is from our this is from our guy Dave Nadit. Shout out to Dave. Super cool guy. Great roofer. Good musician. Just a funny dude. So, all right. So his his question is, do you have any approaches for scent block? Have he has an archery tag in the Q zone. Love that zone. And is it important to get close for a kill shot? Nah, two hundred <laughs> yards will do it. Um, so, yeah, his approach is to dry bag all his hunting clothing and stuff in the bag with local tree and shrubs to eliminate human stench. Do you have any other recommendations? That's actually kind of a cool idea. I didn't think of that, um, like using local yeah. shrubs and stuff. Um, but we don't do anything for that. We don't do anything for scent control. We yeah. just our play the wind. Our stench is too powerful yeah. to block with anything. There's nothing that can stop this. Couldn't bleach our stench by the time day three hits. <laughs> yeah, it, um, with all the research out there, like just go look up some studies or videos on like – how good like bomb sniffing dogs can smell. They say deer noses are equivalent or better than that. Um, and I know those dogs are trained for certain smells, but the, the matter of the fact is the olfactory receptors are still sensitive. doesn't matter. And deer are trained for human smells. They're hardwired that way. That's how God made them to be afraid of man. So they're scared of us no matter what. 
And when they smell that smell, they all mat- automatically, they know what to do, mm-hmm. run away. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the human scent, I mean, these dogs, the bomb sniffing dogs and all that, they can put, you know, they'll be looking for marijuana. They'll put it inside of a sealed bag, inside of a tank full of gasoline in a car, and the dog will find it inside that bag, inside the gasoline in the car. I don't know how that works, but all I know is the deer can do that too. So basically you just have to play the wind mm-hmm. and that's kind of your only hope. I, I, I'm sure there, I don't know, there may be scent block stuff that actually works really well. I've never found anything that works well enough for me to use and be comfortable with. Um, the main thing is don't stand up of the deer. Yeah. Scent blocking works when you don't break a sweat. So like you're in whitetail country and you walk to your tree stand, go up and sit down and you sit there. That might work for scent blocking, but out here, there's just no way you have to just stay. Um, you have to get the wind right. You're not going to trick an animal's nose because you're, you're sweating all the time. Your clothes are stinking. I don't care how much time they spend in a bag or with scent blockers. It's just, except for that first 10 minutes, maybe when you're not breaking a sweat, but yeah, you're just not going to fool. Yeah. Once you're camping, you're crawling your sleeping bag, you're, you're wallowing around in the dirt, sitting Mm -hmm. down, glassing, walking. I mean, Dude, you stink so bad. They could probably smell you from 10 miles if they're downwind. So. Yeah. You just have to play the wind. There's no getting away from that. Have to. Cool. Done? Well, that wraps up the questions we had. Thanks, for everyone, for, uh, for contributing. Those are great questions. Um, it's been a fun season so far. We just got back from archery. Didn't go exactly as planned. We saw a lot of great bucks. I mean, bruisers. Big, yeah. big bucks. So that was really cool to see, but video will be coming soon. Um, yeah, I came home disappointed. I'll just leave it at that. Didn't go as I, as I would want. Um, but we are leaving to go elk hunting in about two and a half weeks headed to Colorado. So super stoked about that. We drew a, a pretty decent tag. So more to come on that and, um, keep watching for the next podcast whenever it does drop. We'll see. <laughs> Um, sometime between here and january yeah <laughs> now we'll try to get them out somewhat consistent yeah relatively consistently we could probably film a couple in colorado too yeah that'd be fun that'd be fun so we're actually gonna go with uh, a friend of ours who's gonna be our, our camera guy so normally we never have a camera guy we are the camera guy yeah so um this will be a, a, a treat for us so it should be a lot of fun thanks everyone for tuning in if you haven't already, like, subscribe, click the notification. For Go the check next... out the store and buy something. Or that too, yeah. We actually, I think that's going to be our um, entry to win for the bear hunt. Mm-hmm. Is we'll probably have an item or, I mean, maybe any item on the store. I don't know. Well, something. We talked about creating a new t-shirt. Oh, that's right. Yeah. A meet the quota. That's right. Hashtag meet the quota. Yeah. That'll probably be what it is. Yeah. Get yeah. everyone on board. So if we do that, we're going to do that. There's going to be a T-shirt. It's going to say meet the quota, hashtag meet the quota. Probably a cool design on there. Mm. And if you buy that T-shirt, it puts you in the running mm-hmm. to go on a bear hunt with us. And I'm thinking, what, next year we'll probably do that, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe next, um, yeah, next, like, I don't know. It'll depend on the hunter, I guess, whether yeah. they're able to do archery or we like archery hunting bears. You get a lot better opportunities and mm-hmm. you get them in real close, which is fun. It's a blast. Adrenaline pumper. All right, cool. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks for tuning in.